0: Amen <clears throat> All right, thank you, Jesus. So tonight is a uh, good Friday, and we've decided to try to make it as interactive as possible, since there aren't any rules yet out there about uh, making these live streams interactive. We want to go ahead and do that. I couldn't think of a better time than Good Friday to try to engage you. Um, those of you who are watching, it's just me with my family here. Hopefully, you guys are there with your families and uh, want to engage you and have you take part in this service. So tonight, you're going to need your Bibles, which you should always have when you come to church. Uh, even if you're logging into church, you should have a Bible with you. You're also going to need a communion setup. So hopefully if you've got some kind of bread in your house, some kind of juice, um, it doesn't matter. You can uh, use fruit. You can use water. You can see that we have a communion set up here. I'm going to encourage you to, to go ahead and, and grab some of that stuff in your houses. Uh, also, if you've got any candles in your house, uh, go ahead and grab a few of those. Like you can see, we have set up here tonight. And uh, finally, what I'd like you to do if you're uh, taking part in this service with us tonight is to make sure that you have a pencil and a pad, a pen and a pad, a phone to take notes in, a personal journal. Um, At some point here tonight, I'm going to ask you to write some things down, but it won't be for the group. So everybody needs their their individual kind of opportunity to take some notes. It won't be something that you want to uh, necessarily share with those who are with you tonight, uh, but it will be important. So Bibles, communion set up, candles if you've got them, and something to take notes on. Amen. So before the world was turned upside down, um, for many of us, uh, I was meeting with a friend from another church, and we were planning and preparing to have a joint service together on Good Friday. Um, And uh, one of the things that I said to him, as I said, I think this event or this time of outreach, this time of, of reaching people for Good Friday, what we wanted to do together, I think it should be titled, Is Good Friday Good?, Is Good Friday good? I thought about those who don't know the story and haven't experienced the truth of what happened that day and all that's been transpiring and happening ever since. And uh, that question came to mind. For them, is Good Friday good? This week, I was being very spiritual with my binge watching. So I was watching The Chosen. Uh, It's about the life of Jesus. And uh, during one of these episodes... I just began to weep I was crying and uh in a in a roundabout way I was trying to hide it from from my wife Mary and and hide it from the kids but I was just kind of overwhelmed because as I was watching I could see I could hear and I could actually physically feel uh some of my own experiences that I've had with Jesus so as I was watching this um on the screen it just felt like the Lord was there uh, so again, I thought about those who don't know these stories and who haven't experienced the power of uh, of this truth. Have you ever experienced that when something that means so much to you and it's so real to you, uh, but at the same time you know that it doesn't mean really anything to those that are surrounding you or those that you might work with, those that you might come into contact with or be friends with? Uh, that idea of it can be so real to you and meaningless to others. So I thought about all those people. I thought about uh, many of you who do know the stories and who have experienced the power of God in your life. And I began to pray about tonight. I began to pray about this weekend being Easter weekend and uh, all the challenges that, uh, that the church uh, is experiencing. So what I prayed is that this time would be revelatory and experiential for all of us. For the believers and for the unbelievers in john chapter 6 verse 65 jesus says therefore i have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father the father has to reveal the son to every person if they're going to have this coming to jesus this saving knowledge of who jesus is right All around the world, people know the name of Jesus. People know who Jesus is. People know what the cross represents. But what the scriptures say and Jesus himself says is that unless the Father makes it revelatory, shines a saving grace type knowledge of who Jesus is into the hearts of every man and woman, they will by no means come into faith, right? So the Father does this and he does it through uh, the Holy Spirit. This is what I mean by I hope that our time tonight... um, And I hope that the time this weekend is revelatory. We want God to be in charge. We want God to be leading, right? That he would send his spirit to open eyes to see Jesus for who he is. In John chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So when I say that, I'm hoping that it won't just be revelatory, but it'll also be experiential. This scripture reminds me that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's acting upon us from within us. He's acting upon us from outside of us, in our homes, in our experiences, right? And he's that connection. He's that friendship. He's that impact that we're all hoping to feel and experience. One of the things I love about church is that it's not just uh, somewhere we go to to just hear something. It's somewhere we go to experience community and experience the love of God and the presence of God. And I don't think that uh, the fact that we have to do that via live streams or emails or, or logging in or whatever it is, I don't think that that will inhibit the Lord one bit. So I think this, the way that we're longing to gather, though, the Lord sees that and that's the way that he's been longing to be with us, right? Many of us have been talking about we can't wait to get back with our friends, can't wait to get back with our families. Some of us haven't been able to see parents or grandparents. Some of us are missing our church, missing our coworkers, whatever it is, and we're longing to be able to be in each other's presence once again. And I think the Lord is saying the same thing. What you're longing for now is what I've always been longing for is to be with you. Not somebody you know about, talk about, and see in a book, but somebody that you are actually connected to. You know, this week I had a, uh, a birthday and I don't know if it's still legal. I think it might be illegal now, but a, a, a good group of folks from the church um, swung by the house. And my wife, who is usually not good at surprises at all, she did a great job. She says hey baby you have to come outside i want to show you something And as i come outside there's a caravan of, of cars and people from our church and uh they're honking their horns my neighbors are coming out and uh they've got signs that say happy birthday pastor we love you air hug all this kind of stuff and at that moment i was so happy to see them uh, but also it was heartbreaking and i was again moved to tears i'm like a crybaby these days but the idea was that I just want to be with this group of people and it felt good to know that they wanted to be with me as well and i think about the lord and he says look if i have to shut down the whole world so you can stop focusing on gathering with others and focus on gathering with me i'll shut down the whole world if i have to that's how much he loves us and that's what his desire is and again that's what my desire is for this service tonight and for god to move in that way this weekend Revelation 3:20, the Lord says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into Him and dine with Him, and he with me." I believe that God always wants to move uh, in our lives, but what we know is that God is also the God of seasons and He's the God of moments, right? If we're honest, there's something about the Easter season, there's something about the Christmas season that seems to lead to more salvations. And it seems to lead to more reconnections where people that have maybe grown distant from God in these seasons, they come back, they draw near, they have these experiences and this felt presence of God again. So for those that don't know, I want to try to answer the question, is Good Friday good? And for those that do know, I want to bring to your remembrance why it's good. And ultimately, more than questions, more than answers, and more than reminders, I hope that we all have revelation tonight. I hope that we all experience Jesus tonight in our homes. He is alive. His word is alive. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what the word says about the word. It's alive, it's powerful, cuts us to the heart. And in Revelation 1.18, Jesus says this, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He's alive. He's in his word. He's in our hearts. He's in our homes. And uh, if he's not yet, he's on his way uh, for you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're gathered tonight in your presence, in your name. You say that we're two or more gathered in your name. There you are in the midst. It's not just being here. It's the fact that we're here in your name, Lord looking for you, seeking after you, desiring to be with you, to feel your presence. We hear you knocking on the door. We desire to be able to open, that you would come in and dine with each and every one of us, Lord, in multiple homes, in multiple cities, Lord God, in this very place with my family, Lord. Our expectation, our hope, and our desire is that we would meet with you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself through your spirit, Lord, that you would teach us all things and that you would call to our remembrance the things that you've already said to us, Lord God. We ask that you would change us and transform us. Your word says that we are being shaped and conformed into the image of the Son, Lord. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We ask that in this moment, in this season, Lord, you knew where we would be. Many of us find ourselves tonight in a place that we were not planning to be. We had other plans. We had other things we wanted to do, places we wanted to be. Plans for this Easter weekend, Lord. But you've got us right now, in this moment, right where you want us to be, Lord God. We just ask that you would have your way. As we pray, and we say, uh, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Tonight, let your will be done in these homes. Let your will be done in this church building, Lord God. Let your will be done in this heart and in the hearts of your other sons and your other daughters, Lord. Let your will be done. You say that you came to seek and to save that which is lost, Lord God. We pray that the Father, that you would send the Spirit to open the hearts of those that don't know you, Lord God of those who have hardened themselves, Lord God, of those who are hurting and in pain, Lord, bound by the enemy still, just like the rest of us were, Lord Jesus. Would you just have your way tonight, have your way this weekend, Lord God. Let there be a shift and a change and a redirecting of lives, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We ask that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So last Sunday here in the church, we looked at the triumphal entry and all the events surrounding it as King Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he's announcing that he is the king and that he's bringing with him salvation. So that message led us up to uh, what would be Thursday night. Uh, So we'll pick it up from there and go through what we know to be Good Friday. So I'm going to start in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. It says, In being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of Spikener. Then she broke the flask and poured it on Jesus' head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out, came into the city and found it just as he said it to them. And they prepared the Passover. In the evening, he came with the 12. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? He answered and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Amen. So first, we see this idea that Judas was the same one who was so upset about this money for this costly oil that they could have saved. And he was also the one who betrayed Jesus for money. Scriptures tell us it was 30 pieces of silver for the Son of God. So many people struggle with money. Uh, and I know before I came to Christ, I used to hate hearing about it. It seemed like anytime I had to go to church with the family, first 20 minutes was talking about money. It seemed like every time my mom would be home watching church on TV, talking about money, um, talking about tithe, talking about offering. And why it was always talked about, I couldn't really understand. But this is what I've learned. The scriptures say that when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. As we grow in age, as we grow in maturity, as we grow in our faith, we come to realize that uh, many people deny God because of money. Many people put money before God. Many people make their decisions based on what they have or don't have in their bank account, rather than what the word of God tells us. I'm not saying that every church is trying to teach people about that. I'm not saying that every church has this desire to see people set free from that bondage. What I am saying is that that's what Jesus is doing, and that's what God is trying to teach us. And I think specifically here, um, as we're looking at Good Friday and we're looking at this betrayal, uh, I think it's interesting that those two stories would be lined up back to back judas being the treasurer for the group right money's one of the only things in life that holds people in captivity whether they have it or whether they don't have it if you've got it many are bound by it trying to hold on to it trying to keep it trying to withhold it from leaving them or getting to others and if you don't have it many of us find ourselves just struggling trying to get some right there's not too many things in life that that bind us whether we have it or whether we don't See, we see that even a man who walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, witnessed miracles, spent years with Jesus, he was still bound by his personal finances in a way that caused him to turn away from the Christ who's right there with him, right? I don't think this is something that the Lord would have us to overlook as we look at this Thursday night, as we look at this Good Friday, as we look at this betrayal. It's not just for Judas, right? I think it's for many of us. So verse 12 goes on. It says that now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? In the book of Matthew 517, Jesus says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. One of the most amazing things about Jesus, right, is that he's able to fulfill the law. He lived in a way that was infuriating to the church, but at the same time, he kept every law that the Father from heaven had given for the church and given for the people. And that's one of the things that the church struggled with. He seemed to be rebellious. He seemed to be one who was saying that the church wasn't good or wasn't good enough. But if you really look at it, and you can look at it from our eyes on this side of the cross, we're able to see that he fulfilled the law, that he kept the law that he was saying the church just had some things misunderstood, hadn't fully seen the full revelation. So the disciples, they know that he's going to keep the Passover because he would kept it for the previous two years with them and he'd kept it his whole life. We read back to when he was a child and he was going into Jerusalem, right, with his family to celebrate the Passover. So where does this Passover come from? Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of month. It shall be the first month of the year to you. I got to stop right there real quick as I'm going through this and preparing. It just, again, it struck me. The Lord says that your lives are going to start now. Everybody else is going to be on a different time frame. Everybody else is going to be on a different calendar. But for you, my people, you're going to start a brand new month with this idea of Passover, with this idea of being set free, of salvation, of blood. And it doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing. It matters what God is doing. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Isn't it interesting that tonight most of us are meeting and gathering in households? And that's where the first Passover comes from. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on, on that night. Roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled it at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So good. So good. A lamb per family slain, completely consumed the blood over the doorpost that as the Lord comes through, he would pass over where the blood is. Many of us have been seeing it. We did it at our house Where people are hanging red cords or over their doorposts, putting uh, some type of red ribbon uh, for this Passover time that we're in right now. Verse eleven said, "Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." So the idea is that salvation comes through sacrifice, right? We need this lamb. We need this uh, this blood to be shed but also that there needs to be a quickening both spiritually and physically when the moment comes to move into that salvation, right? We're going to have the Passover. They've been in Egypt in slavery and bondage for so long, but the Lord says when the moment comes and when you have this Passover lamb and after you've painted this on the top of your doorpost, when I come through, don't be sitting there like you've got all the time in the world. Be ready to go. Have your belt tight, have your saddles on your feet get your staff in your hand because we are going somewhere you're going into salvation and you're coming out of bondage john chapter 1 verse 29 says the next day john saw jesus coming toward him and said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world new testament john's grown jesus has grown Jesus is coming to the Jordan to be baptized and John sees him and he has this father from heaven has opened his eyes in a way that he can see his cousin and see Jesus for who he really is. And he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it draws us back to this Exodus lamb of God, the Passover lamb. So back to this Thursday night. Jesus is with his disciples and they're asking him about preparing the Passover. Luke chapter 22, verse 13 says, So they went and found it just as he had said to them. They prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes and he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me likewise he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you but behold the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table and truly the son of man goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves, which of them it was who would do this thing. So they prepared the place. They've gone to the house. It's been open to them. This upper room, Jesus comes in to have this Passover um, and this Lord's Supper instituted, right? Uh, Communion time with them, what we call communion now. So in just a moment, What we're going to do is give you the first interactive part of our service together tonight. I'm going to ask you guys to be able to spend a few minutes uh, having communion with whoever you're with tonight. Um, If it's just you, it'll be you and the Lord. He knocked on your door and he's come in to dine with you. If you've got family, friends, kids, whoever's with you. um, And again, it doesn't have to be bread and wine. It just has to be focused on the Lord, breaking something together and, and sharing it with each other. But here's what I want you to think about this was a special moment in season of Passover. Jesus is bringing the history of the children of God to a climax, and he's revealing that just like John said, he is the Lamb of God. And look at what he says to his disciples. I believe he also says this to, to you if you're a believer tonight. Verse 15, he says, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is passionate about sharing this revelatory and experiential moment with his followers. It's not just another meal. You know, some people would say that there's transubstantiation and he becomes part of this bread and he becomes part of this this juice that's sitting here, but I don't think that that's really what he intends to say to us, right? What he's saying is that this is a moment that I am passionate about. This is a moment where I wanna be with you. This is a a moment where I wanna be engaged and I wanna engage you. And it's not just another meal. He says that with fervent desire, he's been waiting for this moment to break this bread with his disciples. And I think he's waiting for this moment to break bread with you tonight. Verse 16, he says, I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he's at the same time, he's shifting. And what he's saying is, listen, we've been having this Passover meal. I've done this with you and tonight will make three years in a row. I've been doing it my whole life. You've been doing it your whole life. All of the children of Israel have been doing this since the Exodus out of Egypt. But he says that this is going to be the last time because what he's actually going to do is fulfill this in the kingdom of God. What happened with the Passover lambs when they came out of Egypt in Exodus was an earthly salvation out of Egypt and into the promised land. What's happening with Jesus and he's the Passover lamb is a heavenly salvation that's taken place. We have blood over doorposts in a city in Egypt and now we have the blood of the lamb presented before the father in heaven to save us. Such a unique thing that he's doing here. And then the last thing I want you to think about is verse 19. It says, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me he's there physically with them, but he's preparing them for the times that he's not going to be there with them, right? If you remember some of the things that he said, he says, I'm the bread of life, right? In John chapter 6, he says, you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. The idea is that he has to come inside of us and live inside of us, not be external, but something that is internal for us. He's saying, you need to do this in remembrance of me, not just this one time tonight. It's going to take on a new meaning for you when I'm gone tomorrow. So as we do this, Remember that he's passionate about doing this with you tonight and your family. His has been fulfilled in the kingdom. It's not just something that's broken for us that we get to enjoy physically, but spiritually something has happened when the Passover lamb laid his life down for us. And then also that we remember all that he's done for you. Every house tonight, uh, every table tonight, every meal that's shared, I think Jesus uh, ultimately means something unique for each and every one of us. And I think that's what we need to remember and maybe talk to each other about as we do this. So we're going to take five minutes, get with your family, get with whoever you're with tonight, and just spend a few minutes talking to the Lord and talking to each other and and having communion. Amen. man. So that was a first for us might have been a first for you. Um, <clears throat> but I know uh, we had a special time here together. Hopefully you did too. You know, one of the things about this season we're in in the world, uh, I feel like many of us are learning how to slow down. Uh, normally, I know I am and many of you probably are going 100 miles an hour all the time. And uh, as a pastor, Even setting aside time to do something like this, I think normally I would be thinking, what's next, what do I got to get to? Uh, But the Lord is really teaching us to slow down and savor moments and make the best of moments. And uh, that could have gone on a little longer, I would have been just fine with it, amen. So communion, so important. And we don't have to wait for Sundays for that. We don't have to wait to be uh, uh, led by a leader or a pastor or a worship team for that. This is something we can do over every meal with our families. And uh, he still wants to come in and dine with us. So let's move on. Matthew chapter 26, verse uh, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "O oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, let your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold. The hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going see my betrayer is at hand this is one of the great moments where we see the humanity of jesus he was in pain he was in agony and one of the gospels says that he began to sweat drops of blood this is how intense the moment is for him This is the the feelings of anxiety, the feelings of worry, the feelings of of even fear. He's courageous, so there's fear, but he's overcoming that fear, right? That's what it means to be courageous. All of this is is coming down upon him, and we see his humanity. Our salvation came at a a great physical and emotional cost to our Savior many of us like to think of jesus as only god so it's as if he could just turn off his emotions he could turn off his pain sensors he doesn't have to feel the nails being drilled into his hands and into his feet but that's not the case that's not what we read in scripture that's not what we see here in the garden of gethsemane as he takes his disciples right and he gets to a smaller and smaller group and he's praying and he's crying out and he's saying father there's got to be another way I don't want to do this. My humanity, the human side of me is not excited about what has to happen here. But not my will be done. Let your will be done. What I love about it is that Jesus wanted to be with his father. He was setting aside time in this critical moment to go and pray. But he also wanted to be with his closest friends in his moment of greatest need. Right? He went aside to pray. He took his disciples. They had, they had just had communion They had gone off to a familiar place to pray. He has 12 and he leaves the majority of them, eight behind. He takes the three who are even closer to him typically and he takes them further and he says, I want you to be with me in this, my moment of greatest need. Earlier in the scriptures, these same three disciples had been taken off with Jesus again. And they were able to see something amazing. Uh, We call it in the scriptures, the transfiguration. He takes him up onto a hill. He's transfigured. He begins to shine and glow. Uh, The scriptures tell us it's uh, it's the glory that he has in heaven. You know, the scriptures say that there's no no sun in heaven, that he's the light that lights up everything, right? And they begin to see a glimpse of that uh, as he's transfigured. And then Moses appears and Elijah appears, right? And it's Peter, James, and John who are there in that moment. I think in this moment... What the Lord was trying to do is he's taking those same three and he's saying, again, there's something I want to show you. There's something I want you to see. There's something maybe I want you to hear. There's something I want you to experience. And this time they missed it. The last time, for whatever reason, they were following the Lord. They went up, they were able to see it. And just think about that for a second. In this moment, again, we look back on it from this side of the cross. Uh, What an opportunity they had at a prayer meeting. You know, I think it was a while back, I can't remember exactly uh, what service it was, but somewhere in my notes, I wrote, uh, when, when prayer services are as full as Thanksgiving dinner services and Christmas party services and all those types of things, that's when we're really going to see the Lord move in our midst. But I think this is, is probably closer to the testimony that, that Jesus gives us here where the group's getting smaller and smaller, right? hundreds the 70, the 12, down to the three, and then even the three are sleeping when Jesus needs them to be praying. So what I want to do, this is the second and, and uh, final kind of interactive moment for, for our time together tonight, is I want to give you guys an opportunity to pray. This moment, this season, the same way the Lord says to do this in remembrance of me with communion, I think every year when we get to this Good Friday, every year when we get to this Easter season, uh, I think similarly there's this, this opening up of the things of God, this opening up of the gates of heaven, and this opportunity uh, for disciples, this opportunity for sons and daughters of the Lord to, uh, to see something special, to maybe hear something So I figured what we would be able to do is light your prayer candles, those candles that you went looking for. Now's the opportunity you're going to have to to light them. The Bible tells us uh, the same thing I said earlier about Jesus having this light and this shine and this glow. Later on in Revelation, it says he's going to have a flame of fire in his eyes. Um, The scriptures also tell us that our prayers are like a sweet smelling aroma to God. It says that they're lifted up. That's why they would light these incense and that the smoke would travel up uh, into the heavens, into the throne of God. So that's what our prayers are like. So uh, maybe with your candles, you'll get a sweet smelling aroma and just have this moment where we're reminded of the light of God. And this is where those notepads come into to play as well. Uh, just like the disciples had an opportunity to see something, maybe hear something, maybe experience something with God. My belief is that uh, in this very moment, the same would be true for many of us. That you light your candles, maybe you pray together as a family, but if you can, spend a minute or two just individually asking God, you know, this moment leading up to your crucifixion, there was something that your disciples could have seen and could have heard. So this weekend, as we celebrate that moment leading up to your crucifixion, maybe there's something you want to say to me tonight. Maybe there's something you want to show me tonight. Maybe there's something that uh, I might be able to feel in a way that I have never felt it before tonight. And if that happens for you, take out that pad and that pen, whatever it is that you're going to use to to take your notes on. And I want you to write it down. And it may be something that you have to continue to pray through, but it may be a special moment that you have with the Lord. So we're just going to take a few minutes of prayer, families and individuals. We'll come back together and finish up in five minutes. So I don't even have to ask because I know he's good. Um, I didn't plan on doing this, but I just feel compelled to to share a little bit about what the Lord was saying to me during our our prayer time right now. Uh, On my notes here, I I felt him say, my crucifixion must become real and connected um, or become a part of everyone's personal story. You know, when we look at good friday and we look at what it's leading up to this crucifixion it became a real and personal part of so many people's life stories and in my notes it put i put uh this is when good friday becomes good when it becomes real to you individually and real to you personally i also wrote that there's a a first step and then there's a cliff edge for many of us you know, where, where we come to the Lord and we take that first step to say, Lord, are you real? Can you do these things? Are these stories the truth? Is this God really revealing you to me? And you take that first step and then it seems like right after that, there's this cliff edge that, that you go over into the things of God. And for just a moment, I want to share uh, just a portion of, of, again, both of those experiences for me about the crucifixion becoming real. And uh, this first step and this, this cliff edge. Uh, on October 22nd, 2004, I was uh, at a preseason Laker game and I was not saved. I was in the world. I was drunk at the game. I was high at the game. I had been going through these things um, um, actually for a few months, attending a church, but not listening and not wanting church, just wanting to be there, uh, um, chasing after uh, Mary at the time. And she said, the only place you can hang out with me is if you come to church with me. And uh, so I found myself at this game with my brother, and some fear overwhelmed me, anxiety overwhelmed me. And um, I ended up walking out of the, the Laker game at Staples Center um, on a Friday night, uh, I guess a lot like a Friday night like this. And I remember going into the parking lot and saying, God, if you're real, you got to be real for me. I can't take this anymore. I can't take this life anymore. Um, I'm angry. I'm confused. I'm sad. Um, uh, I'm hurt. A few, a few weeks ago, I was considering suicide. And, uh, and I remember, you know, at that moment, lightning didn't flash and the heavens didn't open and, and God didn't come descending saying, This is the moment I've been waiting for. Uh, that Friday night, it seemed as if nothing had happened. But I was honest when I was basically yelling these things at God in the parking lot three days later, Sunday morning at church, again, something happened where God came down and he did touch me and he did grab me. And I did feel uh, this burden lifted off of me. And I have no idea what was preached. I'm sure it was good. All I remember is crying like a baby and feeling the presence of God for the first time. So there was this first step uh, on the Friday night. And then there was this cliff edge that I went over on the Sunday morning and uh, the crucifixion, of Jesus became real for me. It became personal for me, and it became part of my story um, in my life and this new life that I had um, and that I'm living now. So, man, I thank God for prayer. I thank God for prayer moments. I thank God that he says, uh, do this in remembrance of me, and he says the Holy Spirit will call to your remembrance all that I've taught you and all that I've said, and then when we do it and we pray, uh, he does those very things. So, I want to encourage everybody um, good friday is good we can have communion anytime and we can pray pray anytime and he says i want to dine with you and i want to be with you let's try to finish up if we can let's bring this towards its climax here matthew 26 46 jesus says rise let us be going See, my betrayer is at hand. Right. So he's gone from communion. He's gone to praying with the disciples who are sleeping. And now they're done with the prayer service. He says, rise, let us be going and see my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one sees him. Immediately, he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think... Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him, and they fled. And those who, laid, who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He's deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and they beat him. Others mocked him and struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ. Who is the one who struck you? Mm. So here's Jesus. After the Passover meal and after he institutes communion, after he goes off and he prays and he sees his betrayer coming and it is one of the ones that is closest to him. Many of us know what it's like to be betrayed by those who are the closest to us. And many of us know what it's like to be the betrayer of those who are the closest to us there's no pain quite like that pain it's one thing when somebody hurts you that you're not close to it's another thing when somebody hurts you that you just weren't expecting it right you don't really care um, that they did something to you because you don't have a relationship with them like that it's another thing when somebody who you've poured into somebody who you fed somebody who just a few minutes before the scriptures tell us you were washing his feet and how does he betray you he betrays you with a kiss then it tells us that as it's going down and jesus has this moment one of the moments i love again where he says Peter, calm yourself down. I could call down from my father a legion of angels. They could destroy everybody. I don't even need you to take out your sword. He says, but the scriptures have to be fulfilled. And then it says they take him and uh, another heartbreaking moment. It says all of the disciples fled. All the disciples left him. Read through, read through the Gospels and see all the things that we're not talking about tonight, but they say, we'll never leave you. Nothing can, can turn us away from you. Peter says, if everybody leaves you, I will not leave you. And here he is alone. Why? Because no one is a good enough follower to save themselves. This is what the scriptures talk about when it comes to being self-righteous. Many of us feel like if we could just be uh, uh, a good follower of Jesus, if we do the right thing, if we stay close to him, we're somehow better than other people. But this story is partially to tell us that nobody's that good of a follower, that Jesus is the only one that can save. Your righteousness, your ability to follow Jesus, your, your ability to be a good disciple is not good enough, no matter who you are. Jesus says, when it comes down to saving, it's going to be me and me alone. Second thing we see in this story, Jesus is delivered to the church and the church denies him because the church can't save either. Right? He's not immediately taken somewhere else. The disciples leave him and then he goes to the church, the high priests, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders of the church. And the very church that he's the head of denies him and says that he's deserving of death. They ask the question. They say, we put you at an oath in the name of the Father. Are you the Son of God? And it's just such a, such a powerful moment. He says, it is as you say. And guess what? You're going to see me coming on the clouds. <laughs> what a bold statement he makes here. But what another uh, sad thing it is to know that we can't really put our faith in the church. We can't put our faith in the leaders of the church. There's good ones out there. Please believe me. But your faith belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Church attendance, trust in the systems, it was never going to be enough. And Jesus comes to make that clear. So good, right? Another thing we see there uh, with the disciples, Peter said he would never leave but then it says that he's following at a distance. Read through the scriptures and see what it means to be following at a distance. We need closeness with Jesus. So let's close. Finally, we want to see what the world and the powers that be have to say about this Jesus, right? We see what the disciples and the followers early on flee. We see the church makes the wrong decision and says he's deserving of death. Uh, Let's see what the world outside has to say it's going to be a bit of reading but the good news is um, I won't have much to say after this I feel like the story kind of speaks for itself so starting at John chapter 18 verse 28 a little bit more communion amen John eighteen twenty-eight. then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium It was early in the morning. Remember what we talked about. This started on Thursday night and it goes into Friday morning, early Friday morning. A lot of times when we think about uh, the scriptures and we think about the week, we always say, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, you wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night, but the scriptures, even early on, they tell us that the evening and the morning was the first day. So when you're trying to figure out all this Good Friday stuff and three days in the tomb and when did he rise, all that kind of stuff think about it this way. Um, on Thursday, they had this Passover and this communion. Thursday evening, he's betrayed in the middle of the night, and he's taken to, uh, to the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and now he's being led from them uh, to Pilate early in the morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They won't even go where they're taking Jesus so that they can eat a meal that they don't understand. Verse 29, Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Stop there for just a second. Jesus asked this, this man, he's not a disciple. He's not a member of the children of God and of Israel. He's like you and I, for most of us who are Gentiles. And, uh, he says to him, are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus says, do you want to know for yourself? That's the question that he asks all of us, right? I know what you've heard, And I know how you ended up watching this service or going to this church or getting a Bible into your hands. But the question is always from Jesus to every individual, do you want to know for yourself? Do you really want to know? Do you really want to hear my answer? Pilate says, I'm not a Jew. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. And for this cause I was born. And for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth here's my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. And now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with him. Pilate actually is is intrigued a little bit. He says, man, what is truth? Are you really a king? What is truth? Anybody who gets close to Jesus, just like what happened to me, I sat in the church for the wrong reasons for a good amount of months. I was too close and I was exposed to the truth. Pilate's right there at that moment. And he comes out and he kind of makes this half-hearted declaration. Hey, I don't see anything wrong with him. What do you guys want me to do? Chapter 19, verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again to the praetorium, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? Do you know or do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews, the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in, pre, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. It's the church. We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, led him away, and he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side and Jesus in the center. Stop there. Pilate over and over has this opportunity where Jesus is revealing himself Pilate's intrigued, He's asking questions. It says that when Jesus speaks, and he hears the words of Jesus where he says, "You have no power and no authority but that which my Father has given. Those who have delivered me to be crucified have a greater sin." It says, "From that moment he wants to release him. He's not sure about him, he knows he's not guilty, and now he wants him to be set free." Verse 22, Pilate answered, or excuse me, verse. Uh, 19. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, the world's languages at the time. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written, and the soldiers... When they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to each soldier, apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece, and they said, "Therefore among they said therefore, therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, who shall it be?" That the scripture might be fulfilled which says, "They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." Therefore the soldiers did this thing. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took care, took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Again, I want to encourage you to read through all the the stories in the Gospels that tell this from different angles and different perspectives. One of the ones that I think is, is extremely powerful is this moment with Pilate, when he sends him off to be crucified, he sits and he washes his hands. And he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. As we look at at Good Friday, and as we look at uh leading into Easter Sunday, one of the lessons of, of many that we're supposed to learn from this is about Pilate and this opportunity to come face to face with the truth. This opportunity to actually hear the voice of God and the words of Jesus being spoken to him. I am a king it is as you said you have no power my father has the power my kingdom's not from here (laughs) it's not of this world but i am a king and then Pilate having this moment where he recognizes but he doesn't make the decision to follow jesus or to serve jesus or to surrender his life to jesus there's a lot of people out in the world that say look if i'm not a hater of god and i say let the christians be christians if I if I say hey I actually believe that Jesus was a was a good teacher and a just man, I think I'll be okay. We feel like we can wash our hands and be innocent of his blood, but we can't. We can't. He's either God or he's nothing to us. He's either the lamb that takes away our sins and the sins of the world or he's nothing to us. The claims that he makes either he's crazy or he's God. There's no in between. So here's the disciples are gone and the women are at the cross as he's being crucified. And the scriptures tell us that he gives up his spirit. He says it is finished. You know, many of us would say that he left a lot of unfinished business. He leaves a mother without a son. He leaves disciples scattered and and running for their lives. And and, uh, he leaves a lot of sick people, a lot of hungry people in his wake. But he says it is finished. Many of the things that he did when he revealed himself were to show that he is God and that he brings with him salvation. Many of the things that we're suffering in our world right now with disease, (laughs) what we're suffering um, with financial destitution in many in many areas where people are losing their jobs. Um, We had some members of our church lose a grandfather just a day ago. This is the world that we live in, but it doesn't mean that he's not the king. And it doesn't mean that it isn't finished. The work that he came to do is finished. We enter into that salvation. The Lord would tell us tonight, the same way that he told uh, the children of Israel when they were about to leave from Egypt, he would say, get your belts ready. Tighten them up. Get your saddles on your feet. Get your staff in your hand. Salvation is coming and you need to be on the move enter into that salvation. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be possible wildernesses on the other side of this. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be wars and battles that we still have to fight. It just means that we're fighting from victory because we are saved. It's finished. Man, I'd love to keep going with this story, but you're going to have to wait till Sunday to be continued. We end Good Friday uh, with Jesus on the cross saying himself that it's finished. And for me, that makes it a good Friday. I want to pray, give you an opportunity to pray along with me. Uh, We'll have a little bit of worship time and uh, just lead you in some prayer and release you to your families and FaceTime and Zoom calls. So Lord, we believe it's a good Friday. We believe that you are alive and well that this isn't a a history lesson and a story about a God that once lived and once walked and and, uh, we want to remember that God. This is an ongoing story. You're alive and well. We can't wait to be reminded of what happens after the cross. Where you are now, what you're doing now. The fulfillment of the story. It's not the end of the story because it's ongoing, Lord. You said that you came to seek and to save that which is lost. You said that the healthy have no need of a physician, Lord God, that you came for the sick. You found me when I was sick and destitute, Lord God. Everyone I know, Lord, you found them when they were sick, Lord. They might have been, as we say today, asymptomatic, Lord, didn't even know that they were carrying the virus, didn't even know that they were sick, Lord, but it was there and it was killing them from the inside out, just like it was killing me from the inside out, Lord. In our moment of great need, Whether we were asking the questions or not, there you were before us saying, I am the king. I have a kingdom that is far from this place. Mm. I am your creator. I know the number of hairs on your head. I know everything that you've been through. I know your whole story and it's been leading you to this moment. Lord, I just have to believe that right now somebody is hearing this Right now, somebody is in their word. Right now, somebody, Lord, maybe for the first time is standing before you and having this this moment where they have to make a decision. Most of us aren't outright haters of you, Lord God. Many of us find ourselves a lot like Pilate. Not really knowing a whole lot about you and what you're about until you're right there before us. And we find ourselves in that moment. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, open their hearts to you right now, Lord. That they would ask the same question that Pilate asked Are you a king? (laughs) Where are you from? Maybe they feel like like I and others have felt, Lord, where we would say, just like Pilate, I have the power. I'm living my own life. I make my own decisions. I don't need any help. I have the authority. Lord, right now, I pray that they would hear your voice saying, you have no power. You have no authority. The very life you have is because my Father in heaven has given it to you. Mm. Lord, these same men, these same women, these same young people, Lord, Maybe they hear just like Pilate heard from the church. The church said, he made himself the son of God. And Pilate comes back and says, where are you from? To those who are listening tonight, from the voice of the church, Jesus says he's the son of God. He's the lamb of God. He's been sent by the father that no one would have to die, but you could have eternal life. you would just ask him who are you where are you from what do you have for me am i a sinner that needs salvation and needs forgiveness i can promise you that he'll answer for me it took three days but i made a, a decision i asked a question tonight if you would just ask the question he might show up for you in this instant it might be three days from now it might be three months from now but he's faithful He will reveal himself. You won't have to depend on me. You won't have to depend on another church, another pastor, another friend. Jesus himself will reveal himself to you. But you've got to ask. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It won't matter what day of the week it is. That will be a good Friday for you. I guarantee it. Hallelujah, Lord. For the rest of us, my prayer is that... uh, you'd remember why it's a good Friday and not just for this weekend and not just for this season, but there'd be this ongoing entering into the presence of God, dining with God, communion with God, prayer with God, requesting of the Holy Spirit to come again, to fill you from the inside out, that you would hear, that you would see, that you would feel the presence of God. It's so available It's his desire. It's nothing that we have to beg for. He's saying, I want to be with you. Lord, so would you bless your sons? Would you bless your daughters? Lord, when you prayed, you prayed for the disciples and you prayed for those that would be coming to the faith in the future, Lord God. We want to do the same thing. Let your will be done, Lord. During this next day, this Saturday, Lord, when you were in the tomb, hmm, Let us have some alone time with you, Lord. Let us be asking what it is that you were doing, what it is that you've done, what have you accomplished, Lord? That when we gather again on Sunday, both as the church and with our friends and family and extended friends and family, there would be just a great time of celebration, a great time of excitement, Lord. Not remembering something again that's just in the past, but something that's more real now than ever before. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.